Hello, welcome into a quick hit episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast. We're in between games here, in between series, in between L.A. versus Anaheim. Of course, we're coming off the 4-2 loss to L.A. last night. Avalanche had a very mediocre 2-2 two two record right now, you know, kind of slowly sliding themselves down the standing. So let's get into it quickly here before the Anaheim game, give you some time to listen to it. I'm J.J. Jerez. With me, as always, Arif Dean. Arif, you know, we spoke last podcast about this team kind of looking mediocre. How do you feel uh, about the two and two start here? Are you disappointed, or do you think there's still, you know, uh, still hope for this team? There, there's absolutely still hope. That's not even a question. Uh, it is a little bit disappointing. I would not say it's concerning. Um, they've shown flashes of brilliance. They've shown flashes of mediocre play. It's just far too early to really say that they are not going to be not just a contending team but a top two top three team in the league and you know potentially fighting for the division lead uh is it disappointing yeah it sucks they're two and two and and uh and the first series is okay if you split against st louis i mentioned that last week but against la you need to win both of those especially when you're up two nothing Right, absolutely. I mean, you look ahead at the, the teams currently in the standings. Of course, still 52 games remaining, lots of time to, to right the ship. But, you know, St. Louis already had it at 2-1-1. and Minnesota had it 3-1-1. and And, of course, Vegas at the top at 4-0. and So, you know, I think that Vegas start is what makes me a little bit nervous, seeing a team that's supposed to be a contender come out of the gate flying. Of course, they've got to play Arizona a lot. Um, yeah. But... You know, I, that that's kind of what you would have hoped to see from the Stanley Cup favorite heading into the season, not so much a two and two start. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, four games in, especially when this year four games is only two opponents. I think it's far too early to really be concerned, and especially because of that level of opponent. And I'm not saying the Avalanche should be four and zero if they had Vegas' schedule, because what they showed yesterday is they were, you know, they were going to blow a two nothing lead against a team like LA, who you should be beating seven or eight times out of eight. Uh, the only team that I would say is 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 truly ahead of the Avalanche right now are the two one and one Blues, and that's because the Blues also had to play tough competition in in Colorado, and Colorado had to play St. Louis. Vegas hasn't really had a tough opponent yet. Minnesota's kind of been cruising to these funky, come from behind third period wins against LA. Uh, all I'm gonna say is we've seen the Avalanche over the last ten years as a team that isn't a contender and a team that barely makes the playoffs come out to strong starts and then fall flat on their face. So I'm not going to be too concerned about it this year. And I know they went out to a 4 nothing start in that 19-20 season, but it's too early to be concerned, but it is early enough to be a little bit disappointed, I would say. I'm a little bit concerned, and I have a few reasons why. I'll run them all past you here one by one. Reason number one I'm concerned, obviously, is the injuries already starting to hurt the team, right? We haven't even seen yes. pa- Pavel Francouz in-game action, and he's already out. Burakovsky, three games in, he's already out. What's your stance on that? Uh, this is why they have depth in terms of Burakovsky being out. This is why they have depth. If if Eric Johnson is recovering from COVID, which I imagine is kind of his COVID load management thing going on right now, this is why the Avalanche have depth and a lot of it on the blue line. And this is why I've been hammering away at the third goalie thing all season long with the Avs is because it took literally one or two games and Pavel Francouz is already out and he got injured in practice. He hasn't even played a game. This is why uh, I had, you know, the funny Jimmy Howard conversation. I had the Mike Hutchinson conversation. Uh, you and I talked about all the different goalies they can bring in, not necessarily the big names, not the Crawfords and the Holtbys. But the depth guys that can come in and help this team because Hunter Miska and Adam Werner 
from what I can see, they're not NHL quality goalies. And I will say Hunter Miska played pretty well yesterday. It wasn't on him. That second goal was, it kind of reminded me of Michael Hutchinson in the playoffs. When you watch Michael Hutchinson in that series against Dallas, he didn't let in terrible goals and just look completely out of place. But at the same time, if that was a respectable goalie in net, the Avalanche win one of those, win that seventh game. Hunter Miska did look out of position during that first shot, hit the post. He was way out of position. Uh, the second goal from Gabe Velarde cracked him in the helmet and went in. It looked like it went right through him. Like Velarde shot, and I thought it literally went through his body. So he kind of did have a little bit of mess ups there, but this is why you need a third goalie. This is why I've been saying since Joe Sackick was made available to us after the Devon Taves trade back in the, I was going to say the summer, but the offseason. And then again, when he was made available to us two weeks ago, I asked the same question twice. What are you going to do about the goalie depth? And he said the same thing twice. We're comfortable with what we have. And I just don't believe that to be the case. And I don't think he thinks that either. Yeah. I mean, I saw it from day one, the first day I got to see the Avs training camp in person right before the first game. And I, I'm pretty sure I even said it on this podcast. Hunter Miska is not the guy you're going to have to be able to rely on because he just doesn't have what it takes. He looks like a an AHL goalie who, you know, is fighting for a starting I mean, spot what he in is. the AHL. That's right? what he is. And like you He's said, 25. those goals, he was, uh, you know, we saw him get a couple posts early in the game, which, you know, kept him alive and kept him lucky. We saw him sliding around on his side a bunch, which you know I hate. And if you listen to this podcast, you understand that I think that is a sign of terrible goaltending when you're no longer up upright in your butterfly position. You're flopping around on your side hoping for a desperation save. We saw that a couple times out of him. And then the two goals, while, yes, they were very nice goals, very well-placed shots, I think Hunter Miska was a, a, a bit sucked back in his net, right? And that's a confidence thing. That's him feeling like he doesn't. He needs a little bit more time to react to the puck, so he's sucking back. I think he takes a half step forward, and he's on top of his crease on both of those shots. He gets hit by him. You know, he doesn't have to make the save and make the reaction. He just has to get hit by it. And I think it, a little bit of better positioning from Miska would have gotten that done. So, you know, a little bit nervous there. Now, in terms of Burakovsky, He's a guy that's supposed to be, you know, a, a, a producer, especially offensively. We saw it in the first two games, how big of an impact he had. And you always talk about the depth, Arif, but I'm not feeling it so far in these four games. I mean, this game, this team has been carried by Nathan McKinnon and the power play right now. It's always going to be like that. When you have a line as good as the McKinnon line, you're always going to be carried by that line. The way that I see it. Uh, I'm going to give you two reasons why I believe this, why I believe that both it's okay for the McKinnon line to carry them, which is what they have done since Bednar put them back together. And it's also okay to say that they have depth. Number one, let's look at the Boston Bruins. The Bruins have depth. They have had depth for four or five years. But when Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marchand are not clicking, they score one goal over three games. And they score zero five-on-five five goals over three games because that's what they did heading into yesterday's matchup against, uh, I want to say, Philly it was. In regards to the Avalanche's depth, the reason why I think that their depth has been doing pretty well is because, granted, the bottom six hasn't scored much. Donskoy has a goal, and he scored that before you know jumping into the top six. The Avalanche's top six all had a goal over the first two games and, what, one minute into the third game when, when Brandon Saad got his because Burakovsky already had one, Kadri already had one, the top line already had one. I think the main issue right now with the Avalanche's depth is exactly what Jared Bednar mentioned yesterday in this press conference, is we need more from the JT Comfort line. This is kind of what we saw early in la early in the season last year as, as well, is Valerie Nichushkin takes a minute to get going offensively. It does kind of worry me because 
in the playoffs, he didn't really get going. And now it's been, you know, nine or 10 months since we've seen Val play a great game. Uh, JT Comfer is kind of hit or miss with his offensive capabilities. Granted, he's a big PK guy. Uh, and Donskoy has been well. He played well when he was playing with Comfer. He played well on the power play. And now he's he's done well playing with Kadri. Uh, Calvert and Belmar, yeah, they don't have any points yet, but they've had some good looks. I just think the Avalanche's depth on offense is not a big concern. Uh, the reality is when you have a top line like McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen, they are always going to run the show. It's the same thing with the Capitals when they had Ovechkin clicking. It's the same thing with the Penguins when they had Crosby clicking. If your top line's not going, your team is not going. And when you do need a goal scorer, you're going to keep going back to that top line, which is why McKinnon, Rain, and Landeskog each played over 22 minutes yesterday. It's just the way it's going to be uh, when you have such a star-studded uh, lineup at the very top. To me, it feels like it's not the top line that's carrying this team. It's literally Nathan McKinnon single-handedly. I mean, uh, on so many of the goals even scored by Landeskog and Rantanen, it's him. most of those were were created by Nathan McKinnon. And even, uh, you know, a couple of the other goals that I can think of that were uh, not with the top line, he even had assists on those too. So Brand he's literally side, yeah. creating everything. Yeah, and I think even a Donskoy goal in there somewhere. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, I think that third line is is just killer. That's your biggest problem right now because it just seems like a, a three guys that are misfits, they were all supposed to be second liners at one point, and <clears throat> suddenly they, they can't do anything. And you see Devon Taves with two goals right now, and you brought up Valerie Nechuskin. I'd like to, you know, let's let, between me and you here, let's pinpoint this moment and re- remember when it, whatever, whenever Valerie Nechuskin hits his second goal mark this season. Right, and let's compare it versus Devon Taves, and I think that's just disgusting to have a third line forward who's you know has offensive capability. We've seen him be, a, rip that shot like a rocket, and he just can't score anything. So not just Nachuskin, that whole third line bothers me with with their production right now, and I, I think the, that Devon Taves is easily going to score more goals this year than uh, probably all three of those guys. The funny thing is, uh, two things. Number one, you just spoke into existence that Nutrition is going to score two goals against Anaheim today. The same way you spoke, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a reverse jinx or whatever you want to call it. Actually, it's just a straight up jinx. Uh, Given Barakovsky the number one star, and then we find out he's out. Good job with that. Please don't give number one to McKinnon this week. Don't don't forget. I also, uh, you know, I said I hope we never see the Ian Cole Ryan Graves pairing ever again. And little did I know that they, it's they, literally uh, they were listening. It's literally <laughs> gone forever. That's crazy. Uh, the second thing is so yeah. Number one, uh, you know, the Burakovsky thing happened. Number two, Nachushkin. The funny thing is that you mentioned him. Of the three guys on that third line, I've liked him the most. And that's not saying much by any means. I know Donskoy has a goal. I'm not saying it's much, but I've liked him the most because he's done a pretty good job on that power play unit of parking his big giant frame in front of the goal and screening. And it's funny that you mentioned Devon Taves because on both of Devon Taves' goals, Nitrushkin is right there in front of the goalie while Devon Taves gets that drop pass from Gerard because they were literally the same goal. If I was good with video, I would put those two side by side and just watch them go in the exact same way. The drop pass from Gerard, Nitrushkin's giant body in front, and then Taves finds it right through the right right through the screen. So yeah, it sucks that he's not scoring, but again, I'm going to mention, just like last year, it took Nachushkin 10 to 14 games to get going, and then he became one of the best two-way players in the game. He had a bunch of uh, Selkie votes, which was kind of crazy. He was top 10. So the advanced stats love him. 
he just needs to get going but he's also a bit of a nutcase he he gets into his own head really really quickly he never talks to media because he thinks it's bad you know it's a bad omen for him to talk to media if he talks to media and then he goes out and has a bad game it's because he talked to media it's he's just he's a he's a, he's a nutcase he gets his own in his own head in that way and i think he just needs to fight through a little bit of confidence issues and he'll be good to go I just I don't like that pairing of Comfort Nijushkin and Donskoy. I don't know what's missing from it. To me, to be honest with you, it's Comfort. Uh, I just don't like him centering that line. Uh, he's not physical enough for me. He's not as big a body for me, and he doesn't drive play the way you want from someone like that. Granted, Donskoy is a play driver. He's he's a puck possession player. But he's not playing with the right guys in order to do that. You know, when he was playing with Burkowski and Kadri last year on the McKinnon line, it makes a little bit more sense. So something there is a little bit funky. Obviously, with Burkowski out having Tyson Jost on there, it's all it does is prove more and more why Tyson Jost is not a top 12 forward on this team. Uh, but that's a story for another day. The Avalanche have to find a way to replace him. But let's let's see what they do against Anaheim and then they got San Jose at home after that and they go back on the road let's give these guys a couple more series to see what they can do I'm not worried that the Avalanche are going to make the make or miss the playoffs I'm not worried that the Avalanche are going to be in a bad playoff position I think in the end things are going to even out they're going to be a top two team it's a matter of not falling too far behind Vegas in the early going because it's going to be hard to catch them later yeah, and we've seen in years past how, you know, the third period is always a struggle for this team, and last night was no different. They really got to figure out those third periods and find a way yeah. to, to, you know, nail games home at that point. Uh, but, you know, mentioning JT Confer, you know, I, I really get the feeling that this team, the organization, all the way from Joe Sackick to Jared Benard, loves JT Confer. They love his style. They love his fire. They love his tenacity. But is there any reason we should, you know, kick the tires on Pierre-Luc Dubois as a replacement? It's funny that you mentioned that, and I didn't even know you were going to go there because that's what Elliot Friedman said in his blog. He said, a lot of teams are talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois, but there's a lot of good teams that are kind of interested as well. And then he mentioned this little tidbit where he said, I'd be curious what Colorado and Tampa Bay think. And he never does that. He only does that. He's not a kind. Of, he, Elliot Freeman is not the kind of guy to throw, out rumor, to throw rumors out there. He's the kind of guy to mention things when he has heard something even maybe a little bit remotely close to related to it. So just to mention Colorado's name, I mean, look, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a $5 million center for this season and next season. He's a massive body. The issue that I have with Comfort on that third line is that the type of center Comfort is with the type of wingers Donskoy and Nechushkin are beside him does not fit. A big massive six foot five Pierre-Luc Dubois yeah that fits if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois you're not going to be a long-term avalanche player well hell maybe you are maybe Kadri starts to fall off in a couple years but right now for two years at five million dollars and you know I'm sure there will be some sort of salary retention in there why not go join a stack team why not do that get a cup out of the way early kind of like Sagan did with Boston granted that's where he was drafted and then go find your forever team and you know like Sagan did in Dallas and signed for eight or nine or 10 million or whatever. So I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. And I'm really glad you mentioned that because that's the kind of guy right now that this team could use. Yeah. I mean, and from Pierre-Luc Dubois standpoint, you'd rather play third line minutes than zero minutes at all. Right. He got benched last night. And uh, I, I can't, I can't yeah. blame Tortorella. Did you see the video of him, you know, battling for the puck on that shift before he got benched? 
Yeah, but I mean, it's just such a toxic atmosphere over yeah, there once a player has to toxic. go, you know. Yeah. It was toxic from the start, and Dubois, you can tell Dubois and, and Torts, you know, walk past each other every day and just stare each other in the eyes like, I'm going to get you today. And you know Dubois is screwing around on the ice to, to stick it to Torts, and you know Torts is benching him to stick it to Pierre. It's a toxic situation, but hey, let's get him out of there. Let's bring him to Denver. I mean, he's the kind of guy that, you know, you don't feel confident with Comfer, but you do with Dubois where, you know, if or when McKinnon or Kadri either A, need a night off, or B, more realistically, get injured, that's the kind of center you can slot into your top six. You know, when Burakovsky gets hurt and you have to play Donskoy in your top six, that's okay. Bur losing Burakovsky is not okay, but putting Donskoy in the top six is okay. If you need to put Nichushkin there, it's okay. The one position that the Avalanche don't have that backup in is the center position, and it's you know something they always had with O'Reilly and Stastny and Duchesne, and then eventually with McKinnon. Uh, coincidentally, when they were a terrible team, they had nothing but centermen, and now they're a good team, and they don't really have many centermen. They had to go bring in a cadre, and that's all they pretty much have. Absolutely, just something to think about. You know, just me throwing things at the wall. Unlike how you said, Elliot Friedman usually has some sort of basis to speculate. I'm just purely speculating here, so you know, don't get too excited. I don't even know if uh, the Avalanche want to kick the tires on him, but I feel like he would be a good fit. And who knows? How much longer Kadri is actually going to be in Colorado? He could be an option for, uh, you know, eventually slide up to the second uh, line there. So I like the idea. I've always liked Pierre-Luc Dubois' game ever since he was, uh, you know, about to get drafted. I'm pretty sure he was the same draft class as Tyson Jost, right? So, um, you know, I thought that was such a strong draft class. We saw it with Gabe Velarde last night, too. He was that draft class, too. What yeah. a shot. Um, both both Pierre-Luc Dubois and Gabe Velarde, both guys I thought the Avs, would have been better off drafting than Tyson Jost at the time, and looks like it's still right. But you know, that's that's neither here nor there. But Bowen Byram, we got to look at him in his first NHL game last night. How do you assess his play? I mean, it looked like he, you know, was able to hang pretty well. The speed didn't throw him off, and yeah, you know, he looked like a confident, able body out there. Yeah, he, he there was a couple plays where he had the puck at the blue line and was being challenged by four checkers and kind of made the right play every time. Bounced it off the boards to his forward, spun around, uh, passed it to his other defenseman. He he did a good job of really getting comfortable in his game. The early jitters were so real, obviously. He took a penalty on his first uh, shift, and that was something where as soon as the ref called the penalty, you can see it in his face like, did I really mess that up? You know, some players come in and score a goal on their first shift or on their first <laughs> shot. Bowen Byram, a defenseman who's supposed to be a future 25-26 minute guy, takes a minor penalty for holding on his first shift. But I agree with you. I think he looked well, but man, he is small. Granted, he's 19 years old. I mean, we saw McKinnon at 18-19 look like a shell of what he is now, but... Bowen Byram, my guy, if you want to hit the weights, man, you should start soon because you're a small guy, and I think he'll get eaten alive in the playoffs from a physical standpoint. But granted, Sam Gerrard's also a very small guy, and you know we've seen him use his hockey IQ and his speed and his smarts to get away from the players and, and, and not really eat big checks throughout the game. And I think that's something that Bowen Byram either needs to do or he needs to get bigger or maybe both. Well, we've talked about the unit as a whole just being small, and I think yeah. we even saw it on one of the goals last night, Kale McCarr trying to guard somebody in front of the net, just completely getting boxed out, you know, having zero chance to, to really guard, and he's just trying to, you know, reach his stick around and play defense with his stick instead of his body. So it's, I think that's something we're going to be talking about for a long time. This, this unit is small, 
but they're young and they're fast. I mean, the way they were moving the puck, the, all all six defensemen. I mean, now that Ian Cole's gone, Eric Johnson wasn't in the lineup. That was a really young group, really fast group. And the way they were transitioning the puck was just so quick and, and speedy. And that's why you have this group. But, you know, there are, there are uh, pros and cons with them. And that's the top six that I was talking about last week or two weeks ago when I said these are the six guys that are likely going to be the future of this team if you don't lose one to expansion. And I tweeted out their ages yesterday, and it's mind-boggling that Devontae's is 26, Ryan Graves is 25, Timmons, McCarr, and Gerard are all 22, and Bowen Byram's 19. Granted, yesterday they did play seven defensemen. The seventh guy was the guy the Avalanche acquired for Ian Cole, which we can talk about right now, is Greg Patteron. And I like the trade for two reasons. Number one, I think we kind of spoke it into existence because we were talking about this over and over and over. And I kept saying Ian Cole's going to find his way out of the lineup. The last thing I thought was going to happen was him to get traded after game two of the season. I didn't think they were going to go that fast. But I also look at the trade as a whole and I say this trade makes sense on so many levels. Because the Avalanche cleared up $1.2 million to give them the ability to carry an extra roster player. And that's Bowen Byram. They also cleared up a defenseman who let's face it, is going to be a six, seven, eight, nine guy on this team and isn't someone who's going to be okay with that. I don't think Ian Cold is going to be okay playing that Mark Barbario role of sometimes playing, sometimes not. But someone like Greg Pattern will be okay with it. So that's the second reason why the trade made sense. And the third reason why the trade made sense is because Greg Pattern is a far more physical player. He's the kind of guy that when you're playing bigger, heavier teams, you put him into the lineup and say, hey, go out there and hit a couple bodies around. He's Ian Cole before Ian Cole broke his orbital bone and started to play a little bit less of a of a physical game. So I think the trade made sense on all three fronts from the Avalanche standpoint. From Minnesota standpoint, it was Bill Guerin going out and getting one of his boys from Pittsburgh. It was simple as that. Uh, with Greg Patteron in the lineup, it's okay to say Greg plays one out of every three games or whatever it may be. With Ian Cole in the lineup, I don't think he would have been okay with that. So, you know, it's a good move by Joe Sackick. It opens up a roster spot for, you know, I'm not going to say Bowen Byram yet, but it opens up that roster spot for Connor Timmons. And, you know, we saw seven defensemen take the ice yesterday, and that doesn't include the fact that Dennis Gilbert played pretty well in that first game. And Eric Johnson is still sitting out. Well, you know, played one game and then is sitting out for what I'm like, you know, what I'm gonna call COVID load management. Uh, speaking of Dennis Gilbert, dude, I, I like, is it crazy to say that Dennis Gilbert is better defensively than Zadorov, and he was the throw-in in that trade? Like I said, I've been I've been keep you know I watch games from all over the league, and every time I watch Chicago and I I watch Nikita Zadorov, I'm like, what the hell did I see in this guy? Other than just a giant body running around the defensive zone and scaring people on the rush that he's gonna you know blow their head off. He really you know he just is slow out there and um, just so immobile. I I don't know what it is. I, it's it's his big body and his ability to throw a check sometimes because he never always he doesn't always use his body and. I don't know what it is about Zadorov. I think it's the fact that the NHL is transitioning to this new smaller speed game and he's this big massive guy. He got so much praise from around the NHL. National media talked about him all the time. I know Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman would fawn over this guy every single year. Granted, he did do his job against Calgary in that series when he, you know, pretty much knocked Matthew Kachuk out of the series. But that's why he had so much uh, so much trade value. And I've been saying it for years. When the Avalanche want to trade Zadorov, he's going to have more value than he's worth because of how much praise he gets around the league. And you go back and look at that trade, Dennis Gilbert is likely a better defenseman than him. Brandon Saad is playing in the top six. 
And then they didn't even give up a second or a third or a fourth round draft pick even. They gave up Anton Lindholm, who had no place on this team. Sticking with Greg Patteron, um, kind of like you mentioned, the physical side of it. I mean, that's how you and I, if I'm not mistaken, how we ended our last podcast was our discussion of like, all right, if Devon Taves gets hit in the head like that, who answers the bell? Is it Matt Calvert? Is it Ian Cole? Well, we couldn't really figure out. I think he's the guy that's going to do it because he, he fights people. I mean, he stepped up to Milan Lucic. He stepped up to a lot of the big names. And, you know, we saw him getting a little nasty last night. I think that's the sole reason he was brought in. They needed yep. a guy to be tough. I mean, I like a lot of the other options you brought up. And, and you know, you're right. This trade makes sense on a lot of levels. But I think that is the main level that that, that inspired this trade. Exactly. And when you're when you want to play it, when you want to play when you want to play a game where you have a deterrent, he's going to be your deterrent. So you're going to go into a four-game series with Vegas. First game, Ryan Reeves is running around, hitting all your guys, doing his Ryan Reeves thing. Second game, you need a deterrent. All right, let's play Greg Pattern. And I know he's a defenseman and Reeves is a, is a winger, but that just means you can have him on the ice more. That just means that every time Reeves is on the ice, you can guarantee Pattern is on the ice as well. Uh, he did get knocked out by Lucic if you watch the fight. But just standing up to Lucic and fighting him is something that a lot of people don't do. Just ask Zadorov and just ask Landeskog. Uh, but yeah, that's why he was brought in. And I think it's a good move for one season. And it's also a kind of guy that you can play, you know, in a very tactful way. You can use him when you need him and you can bench him when you need to. And uh, that's what makes him a valuable player for this team. And at a lower salary than Ian Cole had, gives him the flexibility. It's it's a good trade all around. Uh, we'll see if it works out and, you know, when they use him and if they use him in that role. I've just got a message for Joe Sackick. Joe, I know you're listening, and I know it's cheaper to just take our ideas off of this podcast. You know, you get you get to listen and subscribe for, for free. I think it's easier just to hire us, right? We can keep our ideas in private, and, you know, he doesn't have to spend his time keep it close, to the Keep close to the vest, the Pierre Lacroix way. There you go. Um, so yeah, one more thing I wanted to get into from the LA series and just kind of the season as a whole up to this point is the power play versus penalty kill. I think we're seeing kind of, uh, just a bipolar effect there. The power plays have been very strong, very productive. The penalty kill is kind of struggling. Uh, you could kind of point to maybe it was Miska and net yesterday. Maybe it was yeah. this factor or that factor, but just overall penalty kill numbers, not looking too strong. I guess, what do you um, credit the success of the power play or the lack of success of the penalty kill to? I'm going to start with the power play because uh, we've been a little bit too negative for a team that is still you know, probably going to be a contender when all is said and done. Uh, it's amazing. The power play is amazing. The way they move the puck is unreal. The way that they're keeping teams guessing, kind of like we mentioned on the last podcast, is crazy. That Nathan McKinnon started a power play the other day behind the net, and Landeskog was at the half wall. I thought that was great. They shifted around. They kept moving the puck. This is the power play that we thought they would have last year when we said, you took Kale McCarr and Nazem Kadri and added them to three of the most skilled guys, you know, the three of the the three guys that make up one of the most skilled lines in the NHL, and for some reason it wasn't clicking. Well, then you remember that Kale McCarr was pretty much a rookie still last year, and Nazem Kadri was playing on a new team for the first time in a decade. So when you take that all into account, you just needed to give them time, and they've had their time, and that power play unit is dominant. But what makes the Avalanche's power play even more dominant is the fact that now they have a second pair that can stand up to the first pair and, and really take them shot for shot and goal for goal with Devon Taves and Sam Gerrard. We talked about this in length last episode. You have two options on the back end, two guys that can make a play. 
And Sam Gerrard started to become a lot more confident with the puck and carrying the puck on that power play. And then up front, you still have a guy like a Burakovsky when he's healthy. You still have a big body like Nichushkin. You still have Donskoy. You still have Comfort. You have Brandon Saad. You have a lot of options to play there. So the power play, this is exactly what I, I mean, not nine goals. This was exactly what I expected. They're nine for 22 on the season right now. That's not what I expected in in general, but but in terms of production, in terms of skill, yes, they have what it takes. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest eye-opener is they've only scored 14 goals this year. And as you mentioned, nine of those are on the power play. So, yeah, it, it, again, the five-on-five five has kind of got to figure itself out. They're getting a lot of power play opportunities, which is nice, but it's probably only a testament to the beginning of the season when times are sloppy, right? You can't count on your power play to score well over half of your goals throughout the season. So that five-on-five has got to figure itself out, and it's got to be more than Nathan McKinnon. You know, maybe even give him a a night off just so the team can figure out how to play without him creating everything because, you know, obviously that's not going to happen, and it's kind of a stupid idea to give Nathan McKinnon a night off. But you you get No, but I get what you mean. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, you you know, as as humans, we go into survival mode when the thing we know is taken away from us. And if you take McKinnon away from the avalanche, they got to find a way to win. And they did it against the Rangers the very last game before the pandemic pause at the Pepsi Center against a very good Rangers team at that point. Uh, and it's it's something they have the skill and the will to do. It's just a matter of, you know, not always having to rely on him is something that they need to do more of. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like I tweeted last night, if there's any doubt, I mean, of course, it's still only four games in the season, but if he keeps up this style of play, I think he's a hands-down winner. He better be a unanimous winner for the heart this year because he's not only creating goals for himself, creating assists, but he's... Cre- he looks so And he's good. creating easy goals for the guys around him, right? He's doing all the hard work, Dipsy doing around the defender, getting the puck to the net, and, you know, it bounces off the goalie, and there's Miko Rantanen all by himself to a wide-open net. or Nazem Did Kod. you see the replay? Did you see the replay of that Rantanen? and play what he did to the defenseman at the blue yeah, line absolutely it was dirty the brandon side goal was the same it's one thing. of those plays that the, you wanted to go whoop right? yeah exactly the miko rantanen golf in the first game against la was the same thing and then the goal that was waved off when rantanen crashed the net which you know wasn't a good goal we know that but the two-on-one play was created by mckinnon he's doing it over and over and over again and it's it's crazy he's got two goals and five assists in, in four games so seven points he had no points the first game, so he's got seven points over his last three, and those seven points all came in a six-period stretch, where it was every period, one goal, one assist, one goal, one assist, one goal, one assist. It was it was crazy to see, and I think it's, yeah, he's, he's going to be the clear-cut Hart Trophy favorite if he plays like this, especially on a team that's, you know, going to be as good as the Avalanche are, uh, you know. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl can put up all the points in the world, but if Edmonton's letting in five goals a game, people aren't going to vote for them, I would hope not. So Nathan McKinnon is the catalyst behind the 41% power play right now. He's the catalyst behind the Avalanche's offense. He's pretty much driving all of it. Uh, I don't think it's going to be like that for much longer, but right now it's refreshing to see that Nathan McKinnon is exactly who he's always been, and he's suddenly getting better every single season. Right. When's he going to reach his plateau? In our season preview, I said... If you remember, I was like, I don't know how, but Nathan McKinnon looks better. His fan, his hands look faster, and I think I even said it just like that. I almost called them fans, just like I did there. <laughs> um, but, you know, the last two games from Nathan McKinnon, you look on the DraftKings, Nathan McKinnon getting two-plus points has been around a plus 120. and he's That's been, insane. He's been getting that in the first period. So, you know, for you DraftKings players out there, uh, make sure to keep your eye on that because 
that's been a pretty good prop because he can easy easily do that for a good portion of the season, get these two plus points and end up around, you know, somewhere in the eighties and nineties of the way he's playing yeah. in terms of points at the end of the season. But let's look ahead at the Anaheim series now. Of course there's a game tonight, quick turnaround, second night of a back to back, and then they've got him again Sunday. I mean, it's going to be really important to come out of the gate flying in game one and not lose it. They can't go another one and one here. Suddenly you've gone three series into three series into the season and you're fit 500 the, the whole way through. So extremely important to take these next two games, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. The Anaheim Ducks don't really have much going for them offensively. Uh I mean, neither did the LA Kings, but the LA Kings also kind of choked the life out of the Avalanche in that second game and got to play Hunter Miska. I know we said it against the LA series, but I really truly mean it against the Anaheim series. I don't see this being an issue. And the way the Avalanche jumped out to a 3 to nothing lead in the first game LA, and the way they jumped out to a 2 to nothing lead against them in the second game yesterday, I think that's kind of what's going to happen, but they're going to hold those leads. They're going to win 4 to 1, 3 to 1. Uh, five to two, four to one, something crazy like that. I think they're gonna handle this team. Uh, honestly, it's put up or shut up. You should be handling this team because you are not going to go eight and zero against Vegas. You're definitely not going eight and zero against St. Louis. You've already lost to them. You need to beat up on these lesser teams, and you need to start doing it from now. Yeah, if you remember the the first goal against or the first goal against LA here was Brandon Saad, like maybe a minute or two into the game. We spoke yeah. that into existence too. So let's yeah. see if we could speak something else. I need to see a depth goal in these next two games here against Anaheim, whether it's You've Nich- already said it. Nichushkin Comfort or Donskoy. I need one of those guys to get one or either that or the fourth line. Obviously I you know, we'd be more than happy to see Bellamare score a goal. I feel like he deserves one. They've been trying real hard and you know, Calvert, we've we've seen him. He looks like a complete different player this year he looks a lot faster he looks a lot more offensive and I just think that that one of those six guys deserves a goal I haven't talked much about that third line uh or that fourth line specifically Belmar and Calvert because Jost has been taken away from them and quite frankly Jost just doesn't fit with them he doesn't play well with them uh for two reasons number one Belmar and Calvert have had good looks and number two they haven't really had a third guy on that line since losing Nieto uh, I don't think Jost fits there. I don't know what the Avalanche are going to do about that. Maybe we're going to wake up tomorrow and he's traded. Who the hell knows? Because the last time we talked about someone, he was gone. So uh, maybe you got to give Logan O'Connor a look. Maybe you got to check out this new Kiefer Sherwood thing that they have. Martin Cowell. Uh, Martin Cow. Yeah, just give somebody a look uh, in place of Tyson Jost. But Belmar and Calvert have looked fine, and that's why I'm not really going to say much about them. But in regards to the third line, yeah, you're absolutely right, and you already spoke it into existence earlier. Natushin is going to score a couple goals, and the Avalanche are going to win this game. They're going to roll. And with Grubauer and Nett, they'll be okay on the other side. And I like the way you put it. Put up or shut up time. I mean, they got to start making some progress in the standings. You can't just be flying through this season uh, in mediocrity. So that being said, that's all I really have to say about the the last two games and the f- next two games. Anything else you want to throw out to uh, before we get to the Mile High Sports three stars of the week here? That's it for me. Let's uh, make this a quick one. We have a game in literally 11 hours. All right. So that brings us to star number three. I'm going to give this to the Bernie Sanders meme because we're seeing it everywhere. <laughs> I even saw it on NHL Network yesterday. Well, oh, they just man. put him right there on the on their uh, set. So it's it's everywhere. It's cracking me up. You know, good all good old Uncle Bernie. Those those memes are hilarious. They're literally you can't like whether you like him or you don't, it brightens up your day every time you see one of those because this is where you love the internet. People get so creative and it's it's hilarious. 
Absolutely. And that brings us to star number two. You asked me not to give him star number one, so we'll give him star number two. That's Nathan Thank McKinnon. God. Obviously carrying the avalanche right now and just what he's doing is, is phenomenal and amazing. And don't forget the milestone he broke this past week, right? Putting himself in the elite of the elite of avalanche players, and he's still got a long way to go in an avalanche sweater. So, But putting him up there with Forsberg, Hayduke, and Sackick, I mean, you love to see it. Yeah, you absolutely love to see it, and I'm kind of sitting here thinking about. Sorry, my my mind is on star number one, and if this if this is gonna be who I think it's gonna be, because we <laughs> didn't plan this beforehand, I'm gonna be so happy. I think you know who it is. We're giving it to Sean Gretzky. Yes. <laughs> okay. I was like, wait, where is he going with this? I'm so happy. I completely forgot about this, and I was thinking about. It. I was like, who could be the number one star if it's not McKinnon? Then I was like, wait, there we go. Yes. Oh, just absolutely beautiful. Just a great video. Well, and it was interesting to me when, because I'm, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but I am the almost the first person to put it onto Twitter, and it was because I was just rummaging through Instagram, saw Marshawn Lynch skating around in an Avalanche jersey, and I was like, "This is gold. Why, why, why haven't I seen this on Twitter? Look around Twitter; it's still not there, and it had been active for four four hours. So I'm like, "All right, I'm just gonna go post this myself." My tweet blew up almost as if I reported the Marshawn Lynch on skates. Um, which is fun. It's always fun to have a tweet blow up, but it was just interesting that it took so long for that to really hit the the main stage, I guess, of, of Twitter. Dude, he looked so well on skates. He actually looked a lot he better than really I've seen good. a lot of first time first timers on skates. And I love when, how, you know, his first little turn there, he's saying, This is a whole different animal. This is a whole yeah. different animal because I hate how people think they can get out there and play hockey and hockey so easy when they don't realize it's a lot of things going on at once that you don't think you can do. You need to watch the longer video that Akima Lu put up, not just the short 10, 15 second clip. There's about a minute long clip that starts from them walking into the arena and going through all the different things they did. It's hilarious, man. And he actually looks really well. They did that skate where they started behind the goal and they skated up to the to the uh, to the red line in the middle of the ice. He's got some speed to him. I mean, he looks like Marshawn Lynch, you know, the running back Marshawn Lynch, but on skates, it's literally what he looks like. He does pretty well on the ice and. It's just a very entertaining video, and, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, and this is why we're kind of talking about him. We probably would have talked about him regardless, but he's wearing a Colorado Avalanche practice jersey, and he looks good in those in those colors, and it's it's just a great, refreshing video. It's a lot of fun, and he's a funny guy, and I love seeing it. Yeah, but you, one thing I, I kind of that sits in the back of my mind is Marshawn Lynch is 34 years old. I wonder, and I would hate if this is the case, was that his first time stepping on the ice? Honestly, the way he looked, I can't, it can't be. Either that or maybe he's rollbladed his whole life so it came more naturally, but he looked really good. It's it's I mean, it could be at the same time if you're a football player and and uh, you've never ice skated before, the last thing you're going to say is, "Hey, let me go try ice skating and then fall and break your ankles." You see where I'm getting at though, yeah. right? Wouldn't it, it could be. Nice be. To get it really some, could be. Some prime athletes to try hockey sooner in their life to maybe make an impact in the NHL one day, but obviously he chose the right career. Yeah, I, I I gotta I gotta dip back into the archives of your brain. Do you remember that ESPN commercial where they would show athletes playing different sports, and there was a shot of Michael Vick wearing an Avalanche jersey sitting in the penalty box? I don't remember that. Okay, look that up on YouTube. It's a really cool commercial. It's a, I think it's an ESPN commercial. They go through like all of these athletes and they show them playing different sports. And at one point, you see Michael Vick wearing an Avalanche jersey. This is back before 2008, before Reebok. So we're talking the jerseys the Avs won the cup with. He's wearing one of those white jerseys and he's sitting in the penalty box. And it's the funniest thing. 
And this is kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah, I love it. I love Hit me it. up on Twitter to all our listeners if you know what the commercial I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm going to try to tweet it out later today, so let me see if I can find it. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of hockey players can go out there and play a lot of sports. Probably not basketball. For some reason, hockey players are, are just really sad at basketball. Yeah. Um, but I think you know hockey hockey players can do a lot of things athletically. But that wraps us up. You know that's all we really got. Hopefully it was nice and quick, and you could squeeze it in here before the Anaheim game. Of course, I hope you enjoy the Anaheim series. Hopefully the Avalanche come back with two wins in Anaheim. I'm saying it. You cannot come back three and three. So. That's all I've got for you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Arif, anything else before we wrap it up? That's it from me. Keep on uh, chugging along. Keep following me on Twitter, uh, milehighsports.com. I'm finally writing a lot more than I was during the offseason. So keep supporting us, and we'll keep bringing out content. Maybe we'll do some video content, some more podcasts, some more writing. Uh, that's all I got. All right. Don't forget to check out the hockey show, too. Airs Saturdays. Also, you know, catch the replay on any podcast provider we got. Lauren Gardner coming up tomorrow. Just a Ooh, little, just a little, uh, you know, blow the surprise here. If you're listening, here's a little Easter egg for you to listen to the hockey show tomorrow. But that being said, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Uh, hockey's for everyone, and we at you.